Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 65. Have a fantastic episode for you today. I'm going to be joined by my pal Rob Mount. Uh, Rob has spent the last several years playing in Lou Graham's fantastic band. And uh, Rob is just one of the, the real dudes out there in the world of drumming. So we're going to be joined by him in just a moment after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined by the great Rob Mount here in just a moment. Uh, Rob has spent the last several years out in a band playing with Lou Graham, of course, famously from the band Foreigner. Uh, and, and Rob has had just so many great uh, career moments, and it, it's a really inspirational story. And uh, as I mentioned in my intro, Rob is just one of the most real guys uh, out there um, and, and really looks forward to hearing from all of you. Um, he's just doing a lot of great stuff, and uh, he was actually getting over the flu when we talked, so uh, his voice is a little scratchy, so uh, don't hold that against him. But uh, please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle my friend, Rob Mount. Hey, good evening, Rob. How's it going, man? Good evening, Jamie. Going great. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, having, having me on. Oh, man. No, it's our pleasure completely. Thanks for taking the time to do it. Uh Rumor has it you you might have been fighting a little flu bug earlier this week, so uh, hopefully we don't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Well, what's the saying? If it doesn't kill you, it just makes you stronger, right? So. That's, that's absolutely correct. Well, <laughs> you've just had such a great career and, and still, you know, ongoing. I don't want to say that like it's, you know, that you're in the, <laughs> in the waning days, but you've done some really cool stuff. But as we tend to do here on the Drum Shuffle, I would love to start back at the beginning and, you know, tell us where you grew up and, and how you ended up getting into drumming. Okay. Well, um, I am from Rochester, New York. Um, so it's, for those who don't know, it's in Western New York. It's near Buffalo and, uh, pretty much lived here my whole life. And, uh, so at, a, at an early age, you know, like most of us drummers, you, you start banging on anything you can get your hands on, you know, around the house, whether it's your mom's pots and pans or the garbage cans or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, so that's what I did, of course. And it's interesting because nobody in my, and my family is a musician. So where I get any sort of musical talent is kind of a mystery to me, but my mom always, uh, at least played the radio and she had a bunch of those old KTEL records from the seventies, you know, that, that used to be really popular. Yeah. They were like the play, they were like the playlist we have today. That's, that's, they were like the playlist back then on, on records. Right. So, um, so anyways, you know, I, uh, I started taking drum lessons when I was about seven years old. And the very first lesson I had, um, was with a, with a guy that had a, like a real heavy, thick German accent. And he really kind of freaked me out the first time. I I only lasted one lesson, if I remember correctly, because I (laughs) I went to the music store and he's like, now we are going to learn the snare drum and and then we will move to the bass drum. And I don't know, man, I was, you know, you're seven years old. They kind of freaked me out. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. You know, like, my parents are like, what happened? I don't know. He scared me, whatever. So, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it, my, my hiatus didn't last long. And I, st- I started taking uh, lessons again. And one of my very first teachers, uh, was a guy named, a guy named Vinnie Ruggiero, who was uh, one of Chuck Mangione's, um, drummers. And, and I don't know if you know who Chuck Mangione oh, is. Yeah, man, that's cool. Right. So Chuck's from Rochester, um, and Vinny was one of, well, it was his drummer. And so I took lessons from him for a while and that was awesome. He taught me a lot of stuff. And, um, so as I was getting into that, uh, was it 1976, uh, kiss appeared on Paul Lynn's Halloween special. And <laughs> done. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's funny because everybody in their sixties, you know, now the people that are 10 years older than me, their big moment was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't around yet for that. So my generation's big television moment, at least for me, was when Kiss was on that show. And so I remember they came on and I'd never even seen anything like that. And I was like, holy shit, you know, it yeah. just blew my mind. You know, I never saw it before. I was, I was uh, eight, I was eight years old. So, so anyways, you know, I got my mom to go out and buy me my first Kiss records. And uh, up until that point, I was playing along to Osmond records in the house. You know, my mom was a huge Osmond family, uh, you know, music buff. So, and then it just kind of went from there. You know, I, I kept taking lessons from Vinny. Um, I got into Zeppelin, got into Rush, you know, all the bands that everybody 
you know, my age and maybe your age got into going, uh, you know, learning and, and stuff and started, uh, doing rehearsals and jammings in, uh, a music school I went to when I was around 13 or so. I had moved on from Vinny. Vinny had, I think, passed away at that point. And, uh, my teacher at that point got all the guitar students and the bass students and the drummers. And we started doing rehearsals for doing recitals at the local malls and stuff. And so that's, that's what started my band career. And I was also in all my school bands, you know, high school orchestra and all the way through college. I was in the, you know, the college orchestra and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, so did, did what most people do, you know, and as you're, you know, young and in your teenagers, you start jamming in garages and things. And, uh, so about in 19, I want to say 89, I got my first taste of, uh, being in a band that actually traveled around the country. Uh, I joined a, a, a cover band that was on uh, one of the circuits that traveled from Michigan to Florida. And, uh, so I did that for about three months until all our gear got repossessed, oh, which wasn't no. fun. <laughs> <laughs> so to make a, make a long story really, really short, um, we were in Panama city, Florida, and, uh, all, all the, all, most of the band's gear, not my drums, because I was fairly new in the band, but most of the band's gear was financed by the bass player's father-in-law. And uh, he came and saw us play one day because he lived in Alabama when we were in Florida. He came, came and visited and, and saw that the bass player was with a girlfriend. That, that oh, wasn't no. His wife. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So long story short, he went home to Alabama, picked up some of his, his, his good old boys, if you know what I mean, and came back with some guns and a big truck and, or, well, I actually took our truck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and, that's going to happen. Yeah. You you just can't, you can't ask your father-in-law to finance the band and then step out. Wow. No, that wasn't cool. And, you know, what did I know? I had just joined the band a couple months before, you know, I, I had no idea. So a few of us were out to dinner at the time when this all went down, the, you know, guy showed up and took the truck and, you know, my stuff was in there and it took a little while, but I got, I got all my stuff back. You know, the guy at least gave back, you know? Whose stuff that wasn't his, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like, dude, I don't give a shit. At this point, I was like, keep your stuff. I just want mine, you know? Exactly. You know? I'm innocent. Yeah, for uh, sure. So that, that, that's kind of the... Well, that, that's, those are the early, early days anyways. And, you know, I don't know how far you want me to go, but that's, that's kind of the, the starting point anyways for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I think your story is similar to a lot of guys, but you said something in there that I think is, is really profound is you can almost tell someone's age without ever asking when you say, what was the seminal moment? The guys that say, you know, 1964, Ed Sullivan show, Ringo, you know, and I think... Our generation, I'm in my 40s, you know, our generation, the Gen X kind of guys, it's it's always like a combination of Kiss or Alice Cooper or, you know, Motley Crue in my case. You know, I saw Tommy Lee flying upside down and was like, oh, man, I've got I've got to do that, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, you know, so I I think that's a a really cool way to delineate us drummers, you know, the things that we saw or or Bonham, you know, whatever the case may be. But, Mm -hmm. you know, your playing style really lends itself kind of to the heavier music. And I know that you played in some some heavier bands, you know, after that time. And in 1989, if you're on a in a circuit cover band, 
you guys were playing that kind of kind of music. I, I'm guessing probably you know Aerosmith, Kiss, Bon Jovi, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all you know the, the flavor of the day, the more the commercial, uh, melodic hard rock. You know, I, I, we didn't play a lot of metal, um, but it was you know it was the, you know like your Bon Jovi and your Kicks and your Aerosmith and everything in, in 1989 that was popular and. You know, we were playing about five to six nights a week, you know, three to four sets a night. And, you know, you, you start to really learn what calluses are at that point because my, my hands were hamburger for weeks before I uh, was able to hold the drumstick properly, you know. But, uh, you know, hey, it builds character, right? It, so. it absolutely does. And so many guys cut their teeth that way, you know, just playing hour upon hour upon hour every night. And it really turns you into a player and you understand how to drive yeah. a band during that time. Yeah. Well, there's no substitute for that. And, and, th- and that's, what's kind of sad about today in a way, because those circuits kind of really don't exist anymore. You know, there really isn't the, you know, here I, I sound like my, you know, I'm going to sound like the grumpy old guy taking <laughs> off my lawn, you know, but it, it's, it really, the times have changed, and and today everybody just thinks you throw a couple things up online, or you you make it on The Voice or American Idol, and I'm I'm not knocking any of that stuff, but you know back then you really you, you had to work if you weren't playing live, you you weren't really going to go anywhere, you know, and it's not you don't have you don't have to do that today, it's you know it's just not quite the same thing, so. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, look, being the host of a podcast, you know, certainly social media is a big part of of my life, you know, to to get the word out about the show. But I also get on this very platform and bemoan the fact that, you know, we all have, you know, these incredible drummers in our Instagram feed and you can go on YouTube and learn how to play any lick instantly. When I was coming up, you had to rewind the cassette tape over and over yeah. and over to figure out, you know, wh- what oh, is yeah. going on in this section of the song. And, yeah. y- you know, so I think it is a little bit different for younger players than it was for, you know, dare I say, old guys like us. <laughs> well, well, one thing that's, that's, that's interesting that you say that, because I've talked to people about this before, too. Today, like you said, you go online, it's right there on YouTube. And, you know, some people get it wrong and teach people it wrong because they got it wrong, but at least there's people out there that do get it right. And um, it's funny, Vivian Campbell said when he got back together with the with the guys in Dio to do the last in line stuff, he had to go back and find somebody on YouTube that actually played his solos correctly <laughs> so he could relearn them himself. You know, because I found some guys that did it wrong, but I did find a guy that did it right, which is pretty wild. But, but uh, yeah. But, but where I'm getting at is, and it's like you said, when we were young, we didn't have that. So how did, how did we figure it out? We used our ear. You learn by ear. You developed an ear. Today, you don't have to necessarily have to rely on that because we're just sitting there watching some guy spell it out for you. You know, all you got to do is put your fingers in the right spot and there's your guitar solo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where we had to rely and learn and train our ears to do that. And so I think that's a skill that still is being used, but it's not, I don't think a lot of guys developed it like we had to, because we didn't have any other way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, not to belabor the point, but you know, I have a, an acquaintance that's a, a 
pretty good recording engineer. And, you know, he said to me, we, we were having a conversation and he said, I would much rather have, you know, a 65 year old drummer come into the studio than one of these young bucks that has all the chops because the 65 year old will actually listen to what's going on. You, you, I mean, <laughs> right. he actually said that now I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody that's younger, yeah. but he, I think his point was the ear is so, so important. Um, and I'm, right. I'm assuming you picked up a lot of that stuff. You know, you, you went to school at a very prestigious college, you know, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Well, uh, I did, I did a couple of things. I went to, um, when I was in high school, I went to the Eastman School of Music. Um, I didn't end up, I didn't go to college there, but I, I, I wasn't quite good in all the percussion instruments, such as timpani and marimba. You know, I wasn't up to speed enough to get in there to go to college. But for four years, I went there through high school okay. and taught or, and, and took from uh, one of their um, percussion you know, uh, professors there. And I was in percussion ensembles. I was in orchestras. I went to music theory classes, you know, I did everything I could. Um, and, 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 you know, did really well there. And yeah, the Eastman school of music for those people who are listening that aren't too familiar with it, it's, it's, it's right up there with your Juilliards and your Berkeley's and all that stuff. It's right here in, in Rochester, um, in New York and, and people like Tony Levin, he's a perfect example of a famous musician that, that went there. So, you know, it's it's a great school. I learned a lot, and uh, you know, it, it's it's good stuff to have because you, you can never have too much knowledge or too much, you know, chops or or whatever. And, and I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of what I learned there because that was like 30 years ago. But <laughs> you know, it's always good to learn that stuff and have it in reference at the back of your head because you'll never know when you're going to need it, and it might come in a situation where you at least expect it. So it was it was great. I had I had a lot of fun. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, so after the the gear repossession debacle <laughs> way back in 89, I know that you kind of, you know, I, I and I don't want to put words in your mouth, certainly, but you kind of spent some time as as a journeyman. You, you did a lot of different things. So it, if you don't mind, walk us through some of those different steps that you took that that led you up to today. Okay. Uh, all right. So after I got my drums back, which was a huge plus, um, <laughs> I, I hopped. Well, I tell you what, it's funny enough. I, I stuck around with that band and I set my drums up in the band house room, um, which is on the border of Alabama and Georgia for two weeks. I gave them two weeks to get their gear back and they didn't get their stuff back from the guy. So I'm like, ah, I'm out. Called my dad. Dad, give me some money. I need to get a U-Haul. I'm driving home. So I drove home straight from the border of Georgia and Alabama all the way to Rochester, New York in one shot, which is like an 18 hour drive. Wow. <laughs> so I was, I was, I was determined to get home. Right. So, so I made it home, you know, and, uh, shortly after that, I started playing in local bands and one of the bands I ended up in, um, was, was just getting rid of some of the guys that originally, were in the band that have recorded some really professional, great uh, demo stuff. It was very Bon Jovi-ish. And so uh, I hopped into that band and we, and we recorded uh, some of the songs. And th this stuff is actually on my website. Um, there's some samples of it. And so we did that for a couple of years. It was a band called Baby Grand. It, it really kind of stands up very similar to what was going on back then. 
And uh, the guy that wrote all the songs, his name was Greg Wiktorski. He was a very talented guy. Um, but that kind of, I don't know what happened. It kind of fizzled out. Uh, but as, as that was fizzling out, I got a call from uh, two guys here in Rochester um, that one of them was in a, uh, a band called Anvil, which is a big band out of Canada, big metal <laughs> band out of Canada. And uh, another guy was in a band called Liege Lord, which toured with Anvil, and they were on Metal Blade Records. And both these guys are from Rochester. And they said, hey, how about playing some metal? And I had never played I had never even heard or listened to really, really heavy stuff. So I happened in a car with them one day, and they put in the, the newest Pantera record, which just had come out, Vulgar Display. And, you know, I'm used to listening to Bon Jovi and Warrant and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And all of a sudden, that album comes blasting out, out of the speakers, and I didn't know what hit me. Yeah. But it's... I heard the drumming, and I was like, holy crap, what the hell is this? Yeah. So... um well, the good thing about this band is we actually uh, recorded a pile of demos. We finished five songs. We got a record deal in Europe. Um, I think it was Mausoleum Records, if I remember correctly. So we signed the deal. We're getting ready to record the record, and all of a sudden the record company doesn't have any money. And uh. we're like, what the hell's going on? What do you mean you don't have any money? Well, we just released Joey Belladonna from Anthrax. We just released his first record. We dumped all our money into him, and... We haven't gotten our money back yet, so we're broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, now, so, okay, uh, so so let me interject here real quick because a, yeah. a lot of people might say, "Wait a minute, a, a label signed you, and then they didn't have any money." This is yeah. not an odd story, kids. This yeah. this stuff happens every oh, yeah. single day. It is not for the faint of heart. So, I sorry to interrupt, no. Rob. Please continue. Yeah, no, I mean, seriously, welcome to the music business 101, you know, mm-hmm. and me, I'm, I'm what, 23 years old, you know, I'm like, oh, cool, you know, I got my first record deal, this is going to be awesome, we're going to go tour Europe, and yada, 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 yada. So, and another kid, uh, another kid, another thing for all the kids to, uh, to, to learn is I might not have gotten any money to record a record, and everything might have died, but guess who still gets paid? He's a guy in New York, and he's called a lawyer. So, you know, the, the, the guy, the guy he that still was your wants his invoice lawyer. paid. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. So that was kind of a bummer. So, and 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 then, and then a double whammy hit me because at that time, I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Overkill, but they're a pretty renowned metal band out of New York, New Jersey area. They've been been around forever. Oh and, yeah, um, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, still one of my favorites. So they had just lost their guitar players, both of them. They were from Elmira, New York, which is relatively close to us here in Rochester. So they call up my two guys, uh, Joe and Seb, said, hey, our guys left. We need guitar players. Well, there you go. All of a sudden, not only do I not have a record deal or a record, I don't have a band anymore because those two guys jump ship, join Overkill and now start touring the world, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting here going, like, why me? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, all bummed out and depressed, and, you know, what are you going to do? That's the business. All right, so uh, fast forward to a couple years after that, um, I get a call from a guitar player in Pennsylvania. His name is John Hahn, and he's been putting out records with David Chastain, um, who is a 
you know, fairly well-known guitar player himself who has his own record label. And John got a deal in Japan to put out a record. And he had the whole thing recorded, but the only problem was he had used a drum machine, which actually he, pro- he programmed it quite well. But uh, David Chastain had told him, I guess, look, if you want it released, I really have to have a live drummer on this, so go find me a drummer. So I was out camping with my family at the time and uh, come back home and there's a message from John. And he's like, hey, man, I need you to, to call me. I have uh, a record I need you to play on. Okay. So he sends me the tape. I learn the tape. I drive down to Pennsylvania. I do uh, the album for him in, in two days, <laughs> getting sounds, recording the record, and driving home took three days. And uh, it, it was a band called Thick as Thieves. And the, the name of the record is called Rock the House. And there's a bunch of that on my website, too, um, which is www.robmount.com for everybody out there. And it was kind of a docking, extreme kind of guitar-orientated record. It, it was a great record. John is an amazing guitar player. And uh, the only problem is it came out in the mid-'90s, and it, it was really at the wrong time. If it came out in the mid-'80s, late-'80s, it would be right up there with everything that was popular, you know? Yeah. Uh, but because grunge was still big and everything was all doomy and gloomy, you know, all that kind of scene was still happening in the 90s. This was, like, really out of, you know, vogue, you know, long gone. And so, you know, it got released in Japan, sold well, but not enough for us to, to go tour. But, but I, what I learned out of that is, in addition to being able to record an entire record in two days, is that I actually had to play, I mean, you know as well as I do, when you go to record a record, the drums are the first thing that usually goes down. <laughs> right. You, you did okay, it completely so backwards. I did it backwards. <laughs> I was the last thing to go down. Although I got to admit, I think they went in and changed a couple little bass lines to go with my kick patterns, you know, to match that up. But basically I was the last, last thing to go down, which, you know, it's kind of hard because if they have an ending to a song where you're just riding something out and then you do a drum fill and then you crash at the end it's kind of hard when you're the drummer and you got to match it up to that and kind of guess when that's all going down you know yeah and uh so but that was kind of cool i mean i think uh, one of the hardest things in the world is to reproduce a program drum part and and that happens more and more often nowadays you know when somebody's doing a demo or something that that's just a really hard project to undertake yeah, and, and the danger of doing that is whenever I get demos from people to, to to have me go record or do something, I mean, it's nice to have something programmed so you know what they're thinking and kind of what they want to have. But the downside also is sometimes it's hard to get that out of your head because if you had never heard drums to it and just heard the song without drums, you might have come up with something completely different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you, you can't unhear something once you hear it. So some, it could be a double edged sword. Depends on what the person wants. Yeah, for sure. So, but John did a, John did a great job doing the drums. I actually played just about what he had on there. I mean, it was almost what I would have played anyway. So I had no problem with it. So. Well, so, I mean, and then, uh, it, I, I was just going to say, I mean, all of those experiences, you know, all these different bands, 
at any point in there, did you say, okay, maybe, maybe it's time for me to, I don't know, go to medical school or, (laughs) you know, take up carpentry. I mean, at any point, did you get discouraged and say, maybe this just isn't going to work? Well, uh, there was a time where I did take a break, you know, and one of those times was when my buddies joined Overkill. You know, it was a big letdown to lose your record deal and then lose the guys in your band, you know, and you're the one sitting there holding the bag. You know, I was like, what the hell? You know, this isn't fair, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, but life isn't fair and especially the music business certainly isn't fair. And uh, so right around when that happened, you know, I had uh, gotten married to my first wife and I had a, you know, a halfway decent job and bought a house and had a kid and, you know, and then when that that album Thick as Thieves that I just told you about happened, you know, I was able to fit that in with my regular life. That was really about the only music thing I did for a few years. I I was kind of just doing normal stuff. I wasn't in any band. Um, The next thing after that I did wasn't until 2000. So it was about three years after when the guys that were in uh, Overkill that left me called me up and said, hey, we're going to go play the Vakken Open Air Festival and into Germany and you're going to play it with us, you know, and out of the blue. And I'm like, okay, that's only the biggest metal festival that ever existed in the, you know, the universe. Yeah. You don't have to twist my arm. And, um, you know, playing in Germany, you know, to, to thousands and thousands of crazy metalheads over there is, is definitely uh, an experience, you know, that I, you know, can't really put into words because it's a totally different scene over there. You know, it's, it's, totally wild oh yeah man amazing those people if they don't like you they will absolutely urinate into a cup and throw it at you i mean they they don't mess around at at vakin man they they, if if you're not doing what they perceive to be good you're you're gonna dodge some crap no doubt yeah oh yeah yeah and you know what blew my mind is is that we we went on at one o'clock in the morning Oh at, man! At German time, and now they've got four stages going on, right? There's there's two big stages in one area, and that's kind of L shaped, and there's two other slightly smaller stages in another area, so it kind of makes a big L. So there's there's one band going on the one group of stage, and then there's another band going on the other groupings of stage, and we were one of them. Still at one o'clock in the morning, and I tell you, all the roadies and all the crew guys there were the most gracious and helpful people I ever met in my life. You know. It's like, what do you need? What do you need? Okay, do you need this? Okay, we're going to get you up there. Okay, are you sat? You happy? Everything cool? And it blew me away because everybody back home here, uh, you know, and, and most people by that point be like, screw you, just get up there and do your thing and deal with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, my paycheck ran out at 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're talking the first weekend of August when, when this festival happened. So, you know, these guys are out in the sun and 90 degrees for four days. Yeah. You know, they don't have to be happy, you yeah. know? Yeah, for sure. So that blew my mind. That, that was amazing. But that gave me the kick in the butt to get, get going again, you know? So I was like, all right, I've had a few years off. I've lived a normal life. I married, bought a house, had two kids. All right, you know, I knew I would come back to it. You know, I just had to get away from it for a little while. And um, so anyways... We recorded a song for a compilation album that was uh, for, at that, at that time, all these bands, you, you know, all the bands were like doing tribute albums. That was the thing back then. And we did a song for a Uriah Heap tribute album that came out 
which is quite cool. And that was a lot of fun, but then that fizzled. So as quickly as it came and we had some fun, it, it just, we never translated it to shows. And then that's kind of where the, the Lou Graham thing kind of starts up yeah. for me. Um, well, and, and so, you know, I mean, I think it's, it, you know, and of course we've, we've got a link to your website up on, you know, the drum shuffle.com and, folks are going to go there and that's the first thing that that they're going to be drawn to is the fact that that you've spent you know several years playing with Lou Graham and and of course you know I look if you grew up in the era that that you grew up in you could not escape the music of Foreigner in the 70s and 80s so at some point you know I I want you to tell the story about how you kind of got hooked up because you were I think you were subbing for Lou's band for a while before you joined the band full time. But what a thrill it has to be to kind of get to play the soundtrack of your life every night, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a dream come true. I mean, think about it. I mean, it, I mean, Lou Graham to all of us here in Rochester, which Lou's from Rochester. So, I mean, our guitar player, Mike, um, went to the same high school Lou went to. So, you know, it's just, you know, Lou is the hometown hero. And so to, to actually grow up listening to all that stuff, you know, the guy was a local legend and then, you know, to, to end up in his band all those years later, you know, it's just, you know, I, what are the odds? And, and it's really, you know, hard to put into words, you know, just so lucky to have been given the opportunity. So yeah, yeah it's pretty amazing. Well, tell us how you, got hooked up with Lou because I kind of alluded to it, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. you did some sub gigs and then was asked a little bit later on, Hey, you know, you've worked with me so much. Why don't you just join the band kind of thing? So w- were you just sitting at home and the phone rang one day? How did it happen? All right. I'll try to make it. It actually goes, it actually goes a little before that. So, um, back in, I want to say 2002, Lou's uh, pre-foreigner band was called Black Sheep, and they had a reunion concert for a cancer benefit here in Rochester. And uh, so me and, and uh, my buddy Mike Sterto, who was Lou's guitar player with me all these years, we go back 30 years. And uh, he was asked to put, a, put together a band to play a bunch of foreigner songs to open up. We were going to be one of the opening bands for Lou's old band Black Sheep. And I actually got to play Lou's drum set because Lou, most people don't know, but Lou was a drummer in that band called Black Sheep before he moved out and became the singer. And Lou had wanted his old drum set to be the one used for that show. So anyways, long story short, uh, we did that show. It went so well that uh, we did some more. And his brother, Lou's brother, Ben, who was his original drummer, his son, Peter, was our singer. So we're in a foreigner tribute band with Lou Graham's nephew as our lead singer. <laughs> okay? That's killer, man. That's so awesome. So, right, right. And, and so, and he did a hell of a job, too, by the way. He, could, he sounded a lot like his uncle. Let me tell you, he did, a, he did a great job. So anyways, another benefit had come up, and Peter was his name. He got Lou to sing some songs with us as his backing band for this benefit. And Lou said, yes. So it, the funny thing about this backing band, we had me, Mike, who I mentioned, who also became the guitar player in Lou's band. 
uh, our keyboard player was a guy named Andy Knoll, who went on to become the keyboard player in Andy's band, <laughs> and then Lou's nephew was the singer. So, so this is in like 2003. So we're up there doing, uh, you know, a, a, a tribute show. We go up there and play the three planned songs and end up playing more. Went down like a storm. Lou turned around. I'll never forget this. He turned around and looked right at me, pointed at me, and he said, awesome. And, and that just, you know, just blew me away. I was like, holy crap. Lou Graham just turned around and told me I was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So anyway, so I'm trying to make a long story short. But uh, so right after that, Lou started up the first version of a solo band, which was with Andy, our keyboard player, stole him and his two brothers. Lou has two brothers. Um, one is Ben, who was the guy I replaced. Uh, and then another guitar player locally that was in his Black Sheep band. And they started touring. And what happened was they needed some promotional songs to be recorded, foreigner songs to be used in ads. They couldn't use the original foreigner music due to licensing and all that stuff. Yeah. And Ben, who is Lou's brother, who is the drummer, lives in New York City. He wasn't going to come in just to do that stuff. He wasn't going to record it. So I got the call to record a bunch of foreigner songs, not the complete songs, but bits and pieces of maybe eight or nine songs to be fused together as a medley to be used for advertising. So there was my first little in, you know, is recording all that stuff for Lou. Shortly after that, they needed somebody to help practice. Ben wasn't going to come in from New York just to practice. Hey, Rob, I get a phone call. Hey, you want to come down to Lou's studio? Because Lou has a studio here in Rochester. We need to go over some stuff and practice. Come on down. Okay. Twist my arm. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, so, and that's how that went. And then, then it went silent for a while until 2009 where Ben got sick and ended up in the hospital three days before a show out in California. You know, once again, I get the call and say, hey, Ben's down, down for the count. He's in the hospital. We need a drummer. Can you do it? Now, of course, I had spent three years in a foreigner tribute band, so I knew all the material inside and out. No problem. But the only caveat was my wife and my, and my ex-wife at the time um, and our two kids were leaving in two days to go to Boston for a trip. So I turned it down. Believe it or not, I said, no, I can't do this. I have a family trip. We're leaving in two days. What, how my, how, you know, my wife would kill me if I do this. Yeah. So I hang up the phone and I start kicking myself. I'm like, what did you just do? You're <laughs> never going to get a phone call like that ever again. You know, I've been wanting this my whole life and I turn it down. So I called my, my, my ex-wife, but my wife at the time, I told her like, look, we got to figure something out. There's no way I cannot do this. So she decided to drive the kids to Boston while I flew out and did the gig with Lou which was cool. So I did the gig on three days notice, knew most of the songs, probably like two or three diff different songs that I didn't, I didn't know that we hadn't played. And that was that, you know, I it, it went great. And, uh, I didn't hear anything until, uh, 2016. So <laughs> a know, little bit seven of, years go by. Yeah. A little bit now, of a break time, there. A little bit of a break. Well, but in this time, the cracks started happening in Lou's band. So Lou had uh, uh, an issue with his younger brother, Dickie, and he played bass. So the guy he got to replace him was a guy that I had played with and known for 30 years as well. He was from Rochester. So 
um, he joined the band. And then there was a problem with the guitar player. So the guitar player got the boot, and my buddy Mike, he got in the band. So now all of a sudden, three guys I've played with and known for 30 years are all in loose band. And most of us, most of them were in the foreigner tribute band with me, but I never thought I was going to get the chance to join because his other brother, Ben, who was his older brother, they get along great. I go, there's no chance. What if, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, these guys are tight, you know, no chance at all. Well, stuff happens as they say. And, uh, there was a, there was an issue and, uh, I got a little bit of a warning, not much of a heads up, but in early 2016, I get a phone call and, uh, it's Lou on the phone. He says, Hey, Rob, it's Lou, you know, as if like, Hey, I just talked to you yesterday. You know, <laughs> he's like, Hey, it's Lou. I'm like, uh, yeah. Hey Lou. He says, how'd you like to be my drummer for the summer? I was like, okay. You know, t- twist my arm again, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so no, and then I hear all the guys in the band in the background. They were there with him. They're all laughing, you know, because they, <laughs> they knew the whole thing was going down. And uh, of but, course, but, they but did. Here, here, yeah, but but here's 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 the here's the twist of fate that always has to happen to me. So, hang up the phone. Of course, I'm all excited. Tell my wife. We kind of knew it was going to happen. I was kind of warned. The whole next day, I'm getting my act together, getting all my gear ready. You know, just you know. I had a few weeks to, to, before we had to, you know, fly out and do our first shows. All right. So that whole next day I'm getting ready. About nine o'clock at night, I get a phone call. It's Lou. Like, Hey Lou, what's going on? Not much. Um, you sitting down? Why? <laughs> well, um, I called Ben and, uh, I talked it over with him and, uh, I decided to give him another chance. And, uh, so, you know, he's my brother and I kind of got a, you know, I kind of owe it to him. So I'm really sorry, but, um, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep Ben for a while and, uh, you know, but thanks anyways. <laughs> and I was destroyed, right? I was in Lou Graham's band for one day. Yeah, no doubt. One day. What had happened was he had decided to hire me, but never told his brother and never had called him on the phone. You know, they had an issue, but he had never told him that I was going to, you know, that he was out. So by the time he had talked to Ben about it, I had already been hired. But then Ben changed his mind. I see. Yeah. Well, I mean, stuff like that happens all the time. But, you know, still yet, I mean, you you had to be sitting on the edge of your, your chair, literally. Well, right. And then I'm like, oh, great. Now what? You know, I was like, you know, it sort of reminded me of what happened when, you know, I lost that record deal. My guys took off on me and and, off to Europe. They went toward the world with with overkill. You know, it's like, man, you know, here, here it all happens again. And so a month goes by and uh, I guess another issue had happened between those two and Ben resigned at this point. And uh, so I got warned again. They were coming home from a gig. It was like the first show of the year. Ben lasted like one show or whatever. I get texts from both my buddy Mike and the bass player. So you're going to be getting another phone call. I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. And this is on Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. So anyways, I get the call from Lou. Hey, um, want to be my drummer? <laughs> and part of me wanted to say, uh, are you sure? <laughs> you yeah, I got to have it on paper and in ink, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want to do this? 
So anyways, that's the long-winded version of it, but that's, that's kind of how it happened. You know, it can never be totally easy. There had to be a little bit of drama in there. And uh, so, and then, uh, you know, it went all the way to the end of last year when uh, Lou had decided um, that he didn't want his own band anymore. And uh, so, you know, at, at the end of last year, that was it. Uh, it was a great ride. We played some great shows. We did some really good um Shows with like Bad Company and Pat Benatar and Fog Hat and Dennis DeYoung and a lot of a lot of good stuff. I had a lot of great time and you know I owe them a lot for the experience and the fun. You know and it was a great band. You know a couple of the guys in the band, Jeff Jacobs and our uh, he was the keyboard player in Foreigner for 16 years. He played with Billy Joel for a couple of years. Um, our sax guy Scott Gilman was in Foreigner for a couple of years. So we we had half a Foreigner, the 90s version of Foreigner if you include Lou in our band, you know, going around, traveling around, playing this stuff. And, uh, you know, it was a heck of a band, you know, lots of fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, you know, I, after an experience like that, so I'm going to ask, you know, the, the captain obvious question here. I mean, obviously <laughs> you're looking to, to do something else, you know, I mean, I mean, and I'm sure you're getting all kinds of calls and, and interest and things like that. But now that you've had that kind of experience and you spent, you know, two, two and a half years doing that, do you, I guess, do you have an expectation of what your next gig will be? Well, it's yes and no. You know, have I got some calls to do some things in the last couple months? Yes. Um, Things have come my way that aren't necessarily up my alley. Um, uh, you know, for instance, somebody contacted me about doing some drumming from a girl that's out in California and he sent me a link to some of her stump, the stuff, and it's all dance music with drum loops and stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, uh, <laughs> where do I fit into this? You know, this, <laughs> this isn't really my thing. So, right. Thanks, but no thanks. And, um, it's funny because the, my, my friend who was the singer in that band that we did, uh, the Vakken Open Air Fest with, he actually did ask me to rejoin that band because they're putting out a record and going to tour Europe and do, not do a lot of shows, but this year they're going to be playing a few in Europe and a couple in the States. And I was very tempted and initially wanted to do it. And then I kind of backed out of it just because not that it's everything, but there really wasn't a lot of money involved in it, you know, and, and at 20 years old or 30 years old, even when, you're still kind of young. You'll go out and do stuff for, for, for no money. And, and it, it's just go, go, go for the fun of it. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. When I'm, I'm, I'm 51. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't go out on kind of a promise that I'll work it out for you. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't live my life that way. <laughs> well, yeah. And um, you bring up a really good point here, Rob. And, and, you know, if, if I can expound on it for just a minute, you know, look, I've had some offers and I just can't ride around the country in the back of a van for, you know, 200 bucks a week. You know, I mean, we, right. when you get to a certain age or, or, or a certain point in your career where you have, you know, a mortgage and a car payment and, you, you know, you have responsibilities that that have yeah. to have to come first, quite honestly. You know, I, yep. I don't think I could say to my wife, hey, by the way, 
you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to get a studio apartment, you know, on the, on the bad side of town. And that's where we're going to live now because I'm not going to be there anyway. I'm going to be in a van riding. You, 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 <laughs> you know what, you know what I mean? Van down by the river. As, as Chris Farley used to say it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I, you know, so, I mean, I think, I think your point is well taken in that, you know, at a certain point in your life, you can't just say, well, it sounds like fun. Let's do it. Yeah, it depends. It, there's a lot of variables. And that's, you know, people have asked me, you know, and, and part of I know at the end of the podcast, you you asked me to, to give advice. And, and one quick piece of advice I would tell anybody is you, you got to make a decision on things like this based on where you are at that point in your life. When you're 20 years old, you can go do whatever the heck you want for no money and, and nothing because chances are you can still come back home to mom and dad. You don't have any bills at that point. Hopefully, you, you, you know, you probably don't have any kids. You haven't gotten married. You've got nothing tying you back. You can go out and conquer the world if you're smart and keep your nose clean. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as you get older, you know, real life starts to creep in one way or another. Now, at my age, I'm lucky because I got two kids, but they're both in college, but they're kind of self-sufficient in a way. And I don't, they don't need me to be here every day holding their hand. They live with their mom when they're not in college. And most of the time they don't even want to live at home with her anyways. They want to be independent, right. you know? So I don't have any young kids that I have to worry about at this point. So my, you know, I have a wife now that's great and, and that, and, and to be honest with you, there was a situation about a year and a half ago where I almost moved to Vegas, um, where I did get an offer that I would have been doing alongside of Lou Graham, which we haven't really covered, but, um, long story short, there's a show out in Vegas called braiding the rock vault. And it's a big show of a bunch of guys that, uh, like your Howard leases play in your Paul Shortino sing. You got Dave Amato from Mario Speedwagon and Doug Aldrich and, and you've got uh, uh, Huey McDonald from Bon Jovi, and they, they have this interchangeable squad of pro guys that when they're off the road have a Vegas show that plays five nights a week out in Vegas. And uh, so we were out in Vegas a year and a half ago and uh, you know, hung out with those guys because some of us had, had been to the show before and know them, and we've played with some of them. And I got to talking to the drummer. His name is Jay Shellen. And I don't know if you know who Jay is, but he right now more or less has replaced Alan White in Yes, because Alan is kind of old and can't really play much anymore. And long story short, I befriended Jay, gave him my number, and I said, hey, if you ever need a, a sub or something like that, if you, you know, go out with Yes, you know, and your guys can't do it, give me a call. I'll be more than happy to come out and sub in and do this. This looks like a lot of fun. So I sent him a text about three days after we were uh, – we were there when I got home. I said, Hey, nice to meet you. Blah, 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 blah. I'd never heard from him. I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay. A month later, I get a text from him and he's giving me his gig. Oh, wow. <laughs> he gave me, he gave me the gig. He's like, dude, we're going to, I talked to Howard, Howard Lease. I don't know if you know who Howard is. He's the guitar player in Hart for all those years. Of and now he's in bad company. Yeah. So, so we had played with Howard and bad company and Howard seen me play. So Howard was cool with me stepping in for Jay. Jay's like, I'm going on the road with Yes. It's your gig if you want it. We're talking about you coming in on January 1st and taking over, maybe splitting the show with me for a little while, and it's all yours. I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. I didn't even think this guy was going to respond back to my text a month ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, stuff happens, as they say. So for a month's time, 
you know, I was getting myself prepared, spending money, getting my gear a little more up to date. I spent a lot of money on clothes to kind of fit in with the Vegas glitzy stuff, you know, to, you know, to kind of be presentable for that kind of crowd, you know, and, and my wife literally wasn't too, too keen on it, you know, because to, to upset us and move across the country was huge. You know, she has a lot of family here and her dad's really up in his age and she didn't want to leave him and it, you know, it was a little bit of a touchy situation just picking up and, and going like that, but it was an opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. So a month goes by, we get to about Christmas of 2017 and got it all finished up with Jay. And he turned me over to the production guys and the top guys of the show. Well, it turns out those guys weren't on the same page as Jay. When I started talking to them, they were under the impression that Jay was just leaving for a little while. And I was coming in just to be a short term sub for a month or two or three. Uh, not uh, to be the full-time guy. Yeah. So all of a sudden they're like, well, wait a minute. We have a, we have a cast change. We don't have a temp band member coming in. We actually have a change in the band and in the cast of the show. So long story short, after a few weeks of waiting in the wings on that, they gave it to uh, Blas Elias, who used to play drums in Slaughter. He was one of the, uh, the subs yeah. and they gave him the full-time gig. And, uh, you know, so that was, so that was that, you know, and, and so here I am still, uh, in Rochester, New York. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't end up moving away, you know? Yeah. Well, B- Bloss is a, a, a Vegas guy. I mean, I think he grew up yeah. in Texas, but he's been living in Vegas for, for many, yeah. many years. And I think he's doing yep. Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Blue Man Group. Yep. I mean, just a stone yep. cold player, you know, but, uh. So oh, it's, yeah. it sounds like they did a little bit of home cooking on that thing. Well, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I was upset that, you know, I didn't get it. Um, but it made sense to give it to a guy who was already out there that, that was the sub. It kind of was seemed a little kind of weird to me and too good to be true that Jay was just up and up giving me his gig, you know, and, um, but you know, it just, it just, Another pitfall in the, in the world of rock and roll, you know what I mean? It just <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, so now are you, you know, now that you're in a little bit of a hiatus off the road, are you, I, I, well, I know the answer to this. I know that you're available to do drum tracks for folks. Are you given any lessons or anything like that? Yeah, I do Skype lessons. Um, so, you know, the information is on uh, my website about that. I've got some students that I do it that way. There's actually uh, a couple of students here in Rochester that I actually will go to their house and, uh, you know, teaching them in person too. So I, I, I do that. And uh, I had to cancel that this week because of my whole flu epidemic. That I, <laughs> that I contracted, you know, but um, yeah, so, you know, I'm keeping busy doing that. So yeah, definitely anybody who's interested wants to hit me up. Um, all the information's on my website. So yeah, for sure. Cool, man. Well, uh, just uh, good information. And, and, you know, I, I think all the years of experience that, that you've got, you know, I mean, it's obvious anybody that listens to you speak for just a couple of minutes knows you're a real guy, you know, I mean, <laughs> just salt of the earth, good people. So I am, I am uh, not a robot. I am a real person. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> Rob Mount, real man. Um, <laughs> so, well, well I, I don't take myself too seriously. I and mean, there's too many people with attitudes and are stuffy and, and I mean, anybody who knows me is, is I'm about as easygoing as it gets. I don't have an attitude for anybody. I love to just have fun. I want to get along with everybody. I know my, I know my place in the business. I know my place in the band. 
And anybody who's seen my videos on, uh, you know, my, my social media, you can see that I got a, the, the, the dorkiest, goofiest sense of humor in most cases. So, <laughs> you know, that's just me. What you see is what you get. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's few and far between in the music business. But, you know, I mean, I think us drummers are are all pretty, uh, pretty much cut from the same cloth. There's a few guys that, uh, you know, that are holier than now. But for the most part, we're all just real dudes. Um Rob, yeah. b- before I let you go, I'm, I'm going to let you get some rest, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time <laughs> while fighting the flu. But as you know, here on the Drum Shuffle, we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice. You offered us uh, kind of a little snippet, but if you know, mm-hmm. what have you learned over the years that you would offer up as a good piece of advice for other other drummers? Well. You know, that's a great question. I've been asked this before in, in other interviews and in getting to know and get familiar with you and your podcast, you know, obviously I knew that question was coming. So I, I got, if you don't mind, it's, it's not too long, but I, I have a, 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 just some bullet points of a presentation I made from last summer. I was one of the camp counselors at the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, which I don't know if people know what that is, but they uh, do it nationwide in various cities where a lot of big name people come in and, and, and you can jam with the, you know, Jonathan Kane from Journey or Steve Smith or Noodle Battencourt, you know, they have these, they have these big events. And I was one of the camp counselors for one of them. And we had to give a presentation about what we wanted to in the music business. And so I still had some of those bullet points and I was like, you know, that'd be a great answer to your question. Absolutely. Um, we got to it. So, but, but one thing I want to say before that is uh, the biggest piece of advice I would say, first of all, and I've always done this because I've got, I've got recordings of myself, um, back until 1982. So when I was about, you know, uh, 13, 14 years old, I started recording, um, everything on my boombox, my very first jams with any of my bands, all my performances until I got camcorder, started recording shows. And one of the biggest pieces of advice I tell anybody, everybody's got a phone and you can go get a zoom video camera, or a GoPro fairly cheap, record everything that you can, that you do, because number one, it makes a great learning tool. You know, you go back and you review it. You can see what works. You can see what doesn't work. Um, anybody who's been uh, familiar with me on social media knows the last two years I was with Lou Graham. I had a, my drum cam on me every show. And I would always post a clip from a show periodically. So um, it makes a great tool for social media, obviously, you know, shows off your work. I've had blooper videos where I'd be dropping drumsticks and missing cymbals and <laughs> missing hitting the snare drum or whatever, you know, just a bunch of stupid crap that uh, most people seem to have fun laughing at me with that stuff. So, you know, anything you can do to video yourself to a, review and and learn from your mistakes and learn from the good stuff too is invaluable you know so as long as your ego will let you most people won't record and won't want to review it because ah you know i don't need to see that or ah it was just fine you know what i mean there's people that just shy away from that stuff because i think they're scared to face the truth you know and uh it's the best way to learn so number one i would say record 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 even when you're practicing I have my phone with me. If I come across something cool, I'll grab the phone, lean it up against a symbol stand and just record it. So I have it, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause you're going to forget it. Yeah. So that would be one 
big piece of advice. Um, as far as the, the other things I was mentioning, the other, the other thing I would suggest is try to develop your own sense of your own style. Don't try to copy anybody. You know, it's good to learn from your favorite drummers or favorite musicians. It's good to, to learn some of their licks and stuff, but you got to make it your own. You know, you can't just rip somebody off. You know, you, the only way you're going to sell yourself in the music business and the only thing that sets you apart is you because there's nobody else like you. You're unique as a person. So nobody can beat you at being you. So find your niche, find your sound. Um, as drummers, it's sometimes hard to have a sound that's recognizable, you know, guitar player. Like if you heard Eddie Van Halen on the radio, you know, in about two seconds, it's him. Yeah. You know, drummers have it a little harder because we're not a melodic instrument like that. But I think one of the biggest compliments somebody can give any musician is this. And that is, wow, I heard a band playing and I knew it was you, you know, they, you know, it's just like, wow, you knew it was me. You know, it's just like, that means you've, you've set your own style. You have your own thing and nobody's going to beat you at you. You know, I'm not going to go be better than Steve Gadd at being Steve Gadd. You know, that's just not going to happen. Right. I'm not going to be a better Tommy Aldridge than Tommy Aldridge is. Yeah. But I can be a better me than any of those guys can be at me, you know? Yeah, for sure. Because I'm me. <laughs> so find your own style, find your own thing, and work at that. And then the next, the rest of it is just, you know, it comes with maturity. You know, um, that uh, presentation I gave at the fantasy camp was about being uh, a sideman and what it takes to, to be, you know, a drummer for Lou Graham. And, you know, you got to learn whose band it is and it isn't yours. You know what I mean? So you got to know your place. You're just the drummer or the guitar player. Um, so that's one thing to know. You, you got to be professional and realize that you represent your organization at all times in public, on social media, everywhere. You know, you got to be mindful that everybody who's looking at you is, is looking at you as a representation of your organization. So don't do something to embarrass the organization or yourself. Um, you know, you, you want to show up early, you know, for your lobby calls, your, uh, sound checks, you know, being at the airport, everything always be early. It sounds, sounds kind of like common sense, stupid stuff, but it really makes a difference. You know, nobody wants to be waiting for you. And, and the saying is, if you're on time, you're actually late kind of applies, you know, be, be early, be punctual. Um, you always want to be pleasant to be around. You don't want to be a, a drama queen. You don't want to complain. You don't want to be a downer. Nobody wants to be around people like that. You know what I mean? You, you don't want to be the guy that brings everybody down. You know, you're going to want to be, you're going to get a call to be in a band or a session because you're fun to hang around. You know, wow, that guy was fun. He was, he was cool. He was, you know, it was, it's like they say, it's all about the hang, you know, yep. and, and nobody wants to be around uh, a guy that sits there and complains about how life treats them bad, you know? So, and then the next thing is, um, you know, always know your parts and maintain when you're on, when you're, when you're on your downtime. So with Lou, we'd be down for the winter for maybe two or three months. Um, you know, it's my responsibility to make sure the next gig I'm on top of my game, you know, after three months, I can't just sit there after three months, get on the drum seat, the first gig and say, ah, I got this and not have practiced, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, <laughs> I do know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to, you got to get the gig, but you got to keep it too. You know, you can, you can lose it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, 
you know, other things like know your place on stage. You know, I've seen guys go out there and it looks like they're trying to upstage the main artist. It's like, you know, dude, this is the, the, the show ain't yours. You know, if you're allowed to move around and interact, that's cool. But don't upstage your boss. You know what I mean? You know your place, you know, and especially when somebody's soloing. If the guitar player's doing a solo, everybody steps back and the guitar player steps up. You know, it's just, just common sense. Know, know your place. So, um, and that's it, it. You know, you leave your personal life outside the band. You want to be a team player, be able to take criticism, be able to take direction, you know, respond to communications in a timely manner. If the boss sends out an email or the manager sends out an email, you know, respond promptly, you know, courteously. Just stuff like that will, will get you far in the business, you know. Yeah. And, and all those things that you just said, I mean, that's that's a tremendous amount of great advice for everybody, yeah. you know. But Sorry if I blew through that rather quickly. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it was perfect. But, you know, I mean, I, I think it was um, the great Billy Ward, you know, New York City guy who, who said, you know, it's not about my playing. I give good bus is what he said, you know, (laughs) and it really is true. You know, if you can do all the things that, that Rob just laid out, you'll be infinitely employable by someone. That's it. It doesn't matter if you are the best drummer, the best guitar player, you know, there's a million guys out there that smoke me under, under the door as far as being a drummer, but you know, they're either jerks or they don't know how to play in a band with other people or they're miserable, or they've got attitudes, and nobody wants, as good as they are, nobody wants guys like that. They'd rather have a guy that's good, but they want to be with, they want to hang with, you know? Yeah, So. yeah, for sure. I'm not saying I'm the coolest guy to hang with, but I'm just saying, you know, you've you got to be somebody that people want to be around. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and obviously by our, you know, hour that we've spoken, you're a guy that people would want to hang around, Rob. I mean, you you did all oh, this shucks. with a with a smile on your face and you've got the flu. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> so Yeah, man. No, it's cool. I appreciate the chance and uh, to, to talk to you, you know. I'm happy to do it and um yeah, man. You know, it's. I was looking forward to this because I've been. I've spent the whole week in bed, and my <laughs> wife is like, you know, I don't know. This might not be a good idea. I'm like, the hell with this. I've been in bed all week. I need one thing to look forward to. Gosh dang it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Rob. If you've been looking forward to talking to me, you you seriously need to to rethink your life choices. <laughs> if, <laughs> if if this is the highlight of your week, man, you got bigger problems. Uh, I'll just say that. <laughs> Um, no, 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 no. Man, that, that, thanks. Oh, man, thank you, Rob. We really do appreciate it. And it goes without saying, man, you're welcome to come back here anytime. Keep us posted on where you land in, in terms of a of a full-time gig. And, and, you know, we'll make sure we share that with everybody. Um, but folks, yeah, it's, absolutely. yeah, it's, it's robmount.com. Um, if yep. you're looking for Skype lessons, drum tracks, anything like that, hit up Rob. He's a great guy. He responds to all of his emails. So, uh, so hit him up, ask him a question. I'm sure he'd be glad to, to respond. Yeah. I'd love to hear from everybody and all the links to my social media. Um, you can get right from my website, except the LinkedIn one. I couldn't, couldn't get that on there. So I am on LinkedIn, but all the other stuff, the Instagram and the Facebooks and that you can get right from my website. And, uh, if I can, I'd love to give a, a really big shout out to a couple of the companies that uh, 
you know, my endorsements, if that's cool. I don't know if you guys do that or absolutely. What on the show, but, I mean, that's part of you, man. To thank everybody. Well, yeah, you know, I, I just, you know, these guys are cool enough to give you gear or maybe not give it to you, but give you a deal on gear and, and stuff. And, you know, it's part of the responsibility, of course, to give thanks. So, you know, a big shout out to Regal Tip. I've been playing their sticks for a while and they're right around the corner in Niagara Falls, uh, New York, right, you know, an hour away from me. So, you know, big shout out to Regal Tip Sticks and uh, Drum Tax. It's another great company. JH Audio, who I get my in-ears from. Really great company. Um, Big Fat Snare Drum is a newer company. I just started playing with one of their, um, you know, I don't know what you call them. They're, big, they're like a like a drum head that sits on your drum. They make a bunch of different ones, and, and they really give you a nice big fat dead sound if you're looking for that, for like a 70s, 80s dead snare sound or, or for your toms. Um, so I would uh, give them a, a look into and, and um Another company called Rimshot Locks, which is an interesting company that actually helps lock your rims, uh, your your hoops from going out of tune, which I'm very good at doing, especially my snare drum in the middle of a gig. So uh, big shout out to all those guys for, you know, hooking me up with their gear and great service and stuff. So Absolutely. Rob, you're a class act, man. Um, we will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you again, buddy. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And I hope I didn't talk too much. And, uh, you know, I had a great time. And we'll come back again sometime. We'll chat some more. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 65 of the Drum Shuffle. Many, many thanks to Rob Mount for coming on the show uh, while battling the flu. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and, and thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in. We just simply can't do this show without everybody listening in week in and week out. To that end, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen to the Drum Shuffle. Next week, I am going to be joined by the legendary Sean Pelton of Saturday Night Live fame, and he has recording credits with pretty much everybody. I think you can look that up and verify it. Google is your friend here. Uh, And we always love hearing from all of you throughout the week. The Drum Shuffle podcast at gmail.com is our email address. TheDrumShuffle.com is our web address, and you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. If you hit any of those websites, please look for the social media links. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. We do try to have social media output throughout the week, so you can interact with us there as well. But the biggest thing that you can do and the favor that I'm going to ask of you, if you know somebody that would like to hear the drum shuffle, tell them about it. Send them a link. That helps us more than anything. We hope to see you all back here next week for our interview with the great Sean Pelton. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.